Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington, 96.7 FM. This is Sal Dietrich, the co-host of Grace in 30. Uh, my colleague Ed Mellick has the night off. According to tonight's guest, in today's information-saturated world, we've got five or ten seconds to persuade someone that we have something worthy to say of their time and attention. Imagine that. After that, a filter kicks in and people tune us out. So how does this affect how we share the gospel? Probably the most meaningful book in history. And exactly what is the gospel? Well, Daniel Rice is the author of Hashtag Gospel, Life, Hope, and Truth for Generation Now, and the co-founder and founder of Hashtag Gospel Organization that works to present the gospel in a way that syncs with today's culture and uniqueness. Daniel joins us to talk about what led him to start the movement, how it affects others, and to share some updated takes on the gospel. Daniel, welcome to Grace in 30. Hey, Sal. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's been said that, that you know, today in, in our society, and, and particularly in our church, that, you know, many people have grown lukewarm in their faith, uh, that young people in particular are bombarded by so much in social media uh, that people are looking for authenticity. How do you engage someone and grab their attention in something like the gospel in five to ten seconds? Well, I, I think there's a good reason that people have kind of lost uh, the um, just the, the thirst for the gospel. We see a generation that is um, inundated with information, with entertainment. I mean, everywhere you look, we are bombarded with information from your drive to work to, you know, even watching a television show, there are constantly people trying to sell us things or people trying to pique our interest. And, you know, if we're going to communicate the gospel in an environment where it's information overload, we need to learn to do it in a way that is compelling and engaging. I mean, all of us kind of have built this filter uh, over, the, you know, the last few years of this first communication era that protects us from information overload, and if we really want to communicate the gospel well, we need to do it in a way that bypasses that filter. And that's a lot about what, what I talk about in this book, Hashtag Gospel. We take a look at uh, some different narrative and story, um, compelling um, content that really pulls you in. Uh, I mean, this is nothing new. Jesus used to do this all the time. When he would share truth with people, his words were kind of woven into story and illustration, and he did a really effective job of using cultural content to communicate truth. We talk about, you know, as Jesus made disciples, uh, he would literally walk up to people and say, you know, come follow me. But how, how do you do that in today's social media and sort of the Generation Z, I guess we're talking about, you know, make a disciple of someone you'll never see again. Sure. I, well, I think, you know, one of the most important things you can do if you want to really share important truth with somebody is stop first and listen. You know, we kind of have a bad habit of just unloading our presentation or unloading our content on people when we have no bearing for where they are at or what they're dealing with. You know, I think a good amount of uh, the younger generation has walked away from the church because they don't feel heard. They don't feel accepted. And, you know, let's say I'm in a coffee shop talking with a friend or an acquaintance. If I just 
open up and unload, you know, my gospel presentation on them, it is not going to be nearly as effective. First, ask them questions and get to know where they are and what their hurt points are and where their needs are and demonstrate to them that I actually care about them. You know, there it's not a coincidence that God said, that Jesus said, the two greatest commandments, what all the commandments are boiled down to, is love God and love others. So wouldn't it then follow that loving others is a great jumping off point to share the gospel? That's right. And, and sometimes, you know, there's so much that you have to get through to get to that simple message. Uh, and you talk about how the packaging of this you know, needs to change to meet a modern, modern world. I, you know, I've often thought that, you know, the Psalms are perfectly suited for Twitter, mm-hmm. right? They're, yeah. they're fairly short. They're, they're high impact. They're emotional. They're, they're, um, you know, oftentimes you'll see something that, that, uh, is tweetable. Um, how is that in sort of the packaging of what you're thinking of, um, for this new, you know, I think we're talking about generation Z here, right? The, the post millennial. Well, and I think you can expand that even. I mean, there you, you look at people who use social media, 16 through 25, you've got quite a gambit of age levels there, but they're all people who have learned to communicate in this new medium. And they're all people that, you know, are in this kind of next generation culture. I think sometimes we do a disservice to both the people in the culture and to ourselves when we kind of put people in age range boxes. And and I think when, if we want to effectively communicate truth, we must learn to do it in a way that can bypass the spam filters of the modern mind. You know, it's, in one word, it's called contextualization, and it's basically shaping the presentation of the gospel to fit our current context. I mean, it's nothing new. It sounds, well, that's kind of a fancy way to look at it, but really it's not. I mean, we've been doing this for the last 2,000 years, if you look at Acts chapter 17, we find Paul in the Areopagus, the height of Athenian society. He's talking to the high council, and he basically says, statue of yours to the unknown God, I know him, let me tell you all about him. And he doesn't shy away from truth, but he incorporates his, you know, the cultural surroundings with the message of the gospel. He even quotes some well-known Greek poetry you know, to reinforce his point in the gospel. And we need to do that. If you look at Paul's messages of the gospel in other cities like Jerusalem or Ephesus or Corinth, it's clear that they're not an identical message. He takes time to first kind of get to know his audience and communicate using cultural touch points. And, you know, we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to listen to our culture, find out where they feel strongly about and then interweave that into the gospel. Being careful not to, you know, warp or twist or change the gospel. The gospel is as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago, but we need to be wise about how we, quote-unquote, package it. That's right, and and these encounters, you know, uh, short as they are, can be high impact. And in particular, there was one young person uh, that you encountered that really set you to write this book. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a bit about how you know growing up through the ministry. Uh, the person had a, a great job out west. You know, lost interest in the Bible. Tell us a bit about your story and and how this really uh, came about for you to write the book. 
Sure. Well, I've been working in the local church for 15 or so years, and last 10 of those, I worked uh, at a church, a local church um, here in Lancaster, and I worked a lot in youth ministry and small groups and worship, but, you know, one thing became abundantly clear the longer I was there is these kids would come up through the high school and junior high ministry, go off to college, and then a good portion of them will kind of lose interest in the faith. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking to see, and then one in particular, you know, a good friend of mine, it's just such a great heart and, you know, love the Lord, you know, you got a great job um, out, you know, on the West Coast, and before he left, we talked about, you know, you need to get into a small group, you need to get into a church out there, you can't just, you know, float uh, free, and and he was like, yeah, that's that's true, that's true. Well, months went by, and we would text and call and talk to each other, but it just didn't happen, and it was so frustrating to see somebody with such potential kind of be lost and you know it's not like he became an atheist it's not like he became you know um just hostile to the gospel but it's just, he just kind of lost interest and you know, i thought man i wish i knew somebody like francis chan or you know tim keller or Andy stanley one of these guys that are powerful authors that i could speed dial on the phone and say hey you know i've got the situation i wish you could write a book that would help this individual understand the severity of his circumstances and get plugged in to church uh, and and pursue Christ. But I didn't know anybody like that. And the more that I thought about this, the more that it burdened my heart, the more I realized, you know, these are the exact same thing that Paul is writing to the early church in the letters and the epistles and in the New Testament. You know, he, 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 he goes and he plants a church and he leaves and he writes back, guys, you know, stick with it. You know, stay away from uh, sexual immorality. You know, make sure you're gathered together. You know, all these different things. And but I can't, it's not like I would send him a Bible. I mean, he has probably five or six Bibles. And, you know, sending him a Bible isn't going to change anything. That's right. Why is that? You know, it's because look at that page in the Bible of white and black. Our eyes glaze over because we don't communicate in long form as much anymore. We are now burst communicators. You know, we if, if you know Paul and back in his day when he wanted to get a message to the church in Corinth, he would take his time and write out this huge letter and get everything he wanted to say into it, give it to a messenger boy or somebody that could take that message, and it would take sometimes months to, for a letter to get to the destination. When it got there, it was a big deal. People were excited. They would gather and read this letter, I mean, from the lowest to the highest in age, and they would all, you know, be leaning in because it's not like they had TV and, you know, radio and different forms of entertainment. This was not only a critical message, but it was their kind of gathering and entertainment. But that's not the way we do it anymore. If I want, you know, to communicate with somebody on the other side of the uh, U.S., I just text them, or I could call them on the phone, or I could even FaceTime them and have a, or Skype them, and we could talk face-to-face. We don't have to store up a bunch of information and then disseminate it all at one time. We have turned into burst communicators. If I have something important to say, I'll just say it and be done, and that's that. And so not only have we changed the way we communicate, but I think it's also changed the way that we process information. And so as I'm thinking about these things, I thought, you know, if Paul wrote, you know, one of these letters to a modern-day church, 
how would he do it? Would he use the same long form communication? Would he, what would he take advantage of? And that's really kind of what birthed this whole idea of hashtag gospel. Hashtag gospel is really a look at the book of Romans specifically and how, how Paul kind of talks about God's rescue plan, which is literally the gospel, as he kind of works through the, this book to Romans, or the letter to Romans. And um, that is really kind of where this whole thing started. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. You, know, you talk about your, your book. Um, you know, some interesting folks uh, uh, have read it and found it to be, you know, profound. I mean, Anne uh, Byler, the founder of uh, Auntie Anne's Pretzels, says, you know, Daniel takes us to the heart, to the truth of stories about people who experience unbelievable suffering and yet find hope. Tell us a story about how this updated way of sharing and discussing the gospel has impacted people, um, even there in Lancaster and, and then uh, across the country. Sure, sure. Well, I, I, again, it starts with listening, you know, and, and you know, there have been several people just lately that God has brought life. And, you know, just starting from the posture of listening and getting to know them and understanding where they're coming from. And then eventually they ask questions about me and, you know, what do you do? And, and uh, what's this book project you're working on? And, you know, it's a great end to talk about, you know, the gospel and what everybody has thoughts and feelings about spirituality on the whole, you know, and if you give them enough space, they will talk about it and they're they are interested and so you know i've you know had some opportunities and this was you know a, a trainer of mine that um I, a local gym that i've been working at and and just had really no um foreknowledge or, or contact with the gospel as unbelievable as that is in our modern day but just you know through that relationship um I had opportunities to, you know, give them the book, and there are also, you know, a bunch of uh, little one to two minute videos that we put in the book that are available on our website, hashtag spelledoutgospel.com. But um, just using some of those things in conversation, and we have had some great, great conversations, you know, lately. In fact, he and his family actually came to church, you know, a few weeks ago, and then again uh, for the Christmas service. You know, but it all started with taking time to listen and then using, you know, engaging stories and, you know, these little videos and, and compelling content to kind of uh, communicate such a powerful truth as, as the gospel. Yeah, the the, uh, the one thing I think, at least on Grace and 30, that's common among all of our guests when they come to a moment of grace where... Uh, they go on to do something, some sacrifice, some service, some forgiveness for others that is really unimaginable. It's something that they've never contemplated in their lives is listening, that they uh, come to find uh, through listening that uh, children on the streets in D.C. Uh, don't have anywhere to go. So uh, we had a guest on who went on to um, now establish a nonprofit and, and promote um uh, services for kids after hours, and she's built this into what, probably one of the largest private organizations doing this in the district. Uh, a local fireman who uh, saw children starving in Haiti while he was fixing roofs, being told to fix roofs, and realized, you know, we're doing the wrong thing here, and, and went on to adopt a school uh, that now feeds uh, and educates 250 children daily uh, on a forgotten island in Haiti. 
you know, Daniel, I, we can use an analogy here, and you, you did it in your book. You talked about uh, tainted coffee and, you know, the popularity of how coffee uh, has really skyrocketed since the founding of Starbucks and how it's kind of a level setter that, you know, uh, folks who are working the night shift are, you know, showing up at Starbucks as well as the, uh, you know, the attorney or the city councilman and how it, it really has an example of how we can use something that is so common and well known to us all across culture, across society to uh, explain the context of the gospel. And that's kind of neat because I don't know of anyone else other than your book who who's used something like that as, in an, as a way to explain uh, something. You know, it's, it's contextualization. It's nothing new, but you've sort of come up with this way of doing it. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. I mean, you know, coffee has long been a staple of society. It's not in America. You go anywhere in the world and you're going to find some type of hot beverage that people gather around to talk. You know, and you have tea in England or not, uh, different things in South America. You know, all over the world there is hot coffee or tea or whatever. You know, and something so universal provides a great starting point when you're trying to explain something. And in the book, I kind of start out talking about, you know, what is the world's, what would the world's best cup of, cup of coffee look like? I don't, I don't mean like the Elf movie where Will Ferrell walks into the shop and, oh, congratulations, best cup of coffee. I mean, if you went to, you know, the untapped wilderness of Canada and one of the aquifers deep in the ground and pulled out the best water you could get and then you flew down to South America and you had Juan Valdez himself pick you the best beans and age them perfect to perfection and, you know, brought it all back to whatever the perfect altitude is in Colorado for brewing coffee. I mean, you spared no expense and you crafted this perfect cup of coffee. And I mean, if it's perfect cup of coffee, you got to put it in something deserving. So I don't know, you find some chalice or some amazing cultural, you know, icon of a, a mug to put it in. And you, you set that on one end of the table. And then, you know, you go down to the street and there's a, maybe a gas station from the 1940s uh, that's all run down. And there's a cup of, there's a pot of coffee in there that looks like they brewed on the opening day uh, back in 1940. And you pour it into this old crusty cup you found laying around on the floor and it kind of pours like used motor oil and it tastes like the bottom of a zookeeper's boot. I mean, it is foul. And, and if you, if that would represent like the worst coffee in the entire world, you put that on the other end of this table. And then in between you line up from best to worst, all these different types of coffee from diners and from Starbucks, Tim Hortons, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, all these different coffees from best to worst. So you have this long row of, different uh calibers of coffee and then in through the door walks this guy in a lab coat and he's carrying a shiny silver briefcase he cracks it open and pulls out a small vial and on the side of the vial says cyanide and which is one of the most deadly poisons known to men fast working um and he takes a dropper and he puts one drop of cyanide in each and every one of these coffee cups and then he turns to you and he says which of these do you want to drink I mean, if you value your life at all, the answer is none. It doesn't matter how good this amazing coffee that probably costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to create is, or how bad this gas station from the 1940s coffee is, 
both are equally contaminated by this deadly poison. And in Romans chapter 1, that is the case that Paul makes. He says, you know, I don't care if you're, you think you're amazing, I don't care if you come from you know, the best line and the best and you do all kinds of good things, or if you're the worst of the worst, all of humanity is tainted with something called sin or falling short of perfection, God's mark of perfection. You know, and that seems like such a negative or depressing message, but in a way it is really um, comforting, too, because, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter how many likes you have on social media, yeah, none of these things give you a leg up. You can't buy your way into uh, God's good graces. We all start on an equal playing field, and right now in our culture, that is such a sticking point. We just yearn for equality. We we don't like it when people get things unfairly. We want it to be equal. And so, you know, the gospel says, look, you can't bribe God. You can't get in, you know, the back door. There is no back door to the gospel. There's one way. And this, this illustration of coffee kind of really spells that out in a way that is different but accessible for most people. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in, in the, you know, the positive spinning on that is we can all help each other. We can all be a light to each other because we're all sinners. Yep. Right. We can all learn from each other and comfort each other and, and uh, you know, uh, support each other uh, in this journey. You, you talk about um, not only the importance of those first five or 10 seconds, but building long-term relationships. And and that, I think, comes through something you've talked about, which is consistency, which is, you know, whether it's on social media, on Twitter, what, what am I seeing from you? What are you talking about? And can I come to not necessarily simply um, have a relationship, but, but become a disciple, you know, and, and, uh, and not necessarily try to quickly convert someone, that, that really it is a conversation that goes on, and in some cases in short bites, but, but one that almost builds trust with people that you affiliate with. Um, tell me a little bit about the tools that you're using for that, um, you know, building trust in, in an environment like that, and, and how you're weaving storytelling in that. Sort of you, you expand a little bit about your story about the coffee, which is, you know, a nice example of that. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I think that it's important to go back to what is the prime directive of followers of Christ. And five times in the Bible, you know, Jesus, you know, talks about, you know, it's called the Great Commission. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. He doesn't say, I want you to go and convert people and then leave them in the wind. There's discipleship involves relationship. You can't separate those two things, you know. And if we really want to be serious about following the Great Commissioner, following the plan that Jesus has set out for us as his followers, we can't avoid relationships. Discipleship is so important. And so, you know, a book like Hashtag Gospel or the videos or, you know, there's a study guide for the book coming out that you, if you wanted to use it for you know, like a group study or something like that, we've got a free, you know, video devotional if you use the um, the Bible app on your phone or you could, you know, it's, all of this stuff is on, there are links to it on the website. But all of these things are only tools in and of themselves they are kind of powerless. You need a person that takes interest in another person to share these things and walk through these things with something else for them to be most effective. It's the way that God 
designed the gospel to work. He could have just broadcast it out with angels when it happened and said, hey, this is the truth, accept it or deny it. But that's not what he did. He wanted to enlist his body or the church to go out, build relationships, make disciples, and grow that way. And so these things that hashtag gospel offers, they are only tools and they are ineffective if God's people don't use things like this, and there are a lot of other great tools out there, but to share the truth with those around them and actually take an interest and walk alongside them. Well, look, Daniel, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, you know, we always ask guests to issue a call to action to listener, uh, one or two, if, if the you know, spirit moves you. You know, how would you like to challenge people? Uh, this is, you know, here in Arlington County, we have the largest population of millennials and, and a large Generation Z population, uh, the largest per capita in the United States. Uh, so you've got the mic, you know, challenge our listeners and, and give us a call to action. Take about a minute I mean, to do that. Sure, sure. I would say... I don't have anything different to say than what Jesus said. Jesus said one thing. He said, make disciples. Right before he took off for heaven, he said, make disciples. And to flesh that out means build relationships for the gospel, not make projects out of people, you know, not, you know, fill your little spiritual uh, belt with check marks, but make relationships, love people. And through that love and through that, those relationships, share the good news of God's rescue plan with others. There are all kinds of great resources out there. Hashtag gospel is only one. But if I could challenge um, the listeners out there right now, it would be take those first steps. Build your relationship. Listen to people. Look for opportunities to share love and truth with those around you. Amen. Well, look, Daniel, thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you for your heart for the younger generation and what you're doing to engage them. If listeners want to find out more about Hashtag Gospel, please check them out on the web at HashtagGospel.com. That's all one word, HashtagGospel.com. There's some great videos as well at HashtagGospel.com backslash video. Uh, great stories about a midnight rescue, a mission impossible, uh, and the I Am talks about uh, terminally ill children in L.A. Uh, lots to see there. A replay of this show can be found at graceand30.com, wera.fm, iTunes, and Stitcher. This is Sal Dietry signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7. Have a great night and be sure to tune in to Grace.